you this morning. I do want to welcome for our first insert um, our friends from 4SA that's Freedom of Religion South Africa they are a legal advocacy organization which works to protect and to promote your constitutional right to religious freedom in South Africa and this morning we're joined by Daniela Ellebeck who is an attorney of the High Court in South Africa and serves as a parliamentary liaison she's a graduate from Rhodes University and has specialized in litigation Daniela thank you so much for joining us this morning morning Mark let me just turn the mute off <laughs> always a pleasure to talk to you and your listeners well it's good to be with you as well and we, we started a conversation with Michael last week it was around the protection of constitutional democracy against terrorism terrorism and related activity bill and my understanding is we're going to be continuing that conversation this morning with you indeed so, like, what is going on? Why does this bill affect us? What are the kinds of concerns that we should have uh, in terms of the drafting of this bill? Where do we start in terms of the conversation? So, Mark, I think pretty much the same as with the anti-money laundering bill. One wonders, okay, what does an anti-terrorism bill have to do with religious freedom? For sure. And then you start <laughs> looking at some of the loose definitions in the bill and you're like, oh, cuts. Yes. We could find ourselves in trouble here. Yes, yes. So, for example, the bill wants to make it a crime to directly or indirectly encourage or otherwise induce the commission preparation or instigation of any crime under the Act, right? So that's okay. very normal. And similarly, terrorism or terrorist activities is very broadly defined. So what we sit with is that this whole bill hinges around what is seen as a as a terrorist activity, right? If you're talking about an anti-terrorism bill. Mm. And the problem is, is that terrorist activity is very loosely, very broadly defined. I mean, the definition runs over two pages. <laughs> Oh, I mean, surely so two you pages. You can see how surely... everything just tries to get lumped in there, oh, okay. and it has very broad phrases thrown in there. Dan- um, Daniela, can I can I interject yes. and just just ask a question? So, a- as we go through this process over and over again, as we as we receive these drafts, as we make comments, as white papers become green papers and come into come into law eventually or whatever the process is um, but I have noticed that very often these bills start off quite loosely defined and then over a period of time which includes some consultative um, engagement with the public and with organizations such as yourself um, it, the, the bills kind of come to a narrower and a narrower edge is, is, is that just absolutely common it's been experienced on this bill now's the right time for people to engage and to stand up and take notice so that we end up getting a bill that everybody wants because nobody wants terrorism right i mean like 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 we're all against that but but it does take a little bit of work and engagement from the public and participation exactly mark you've hit the nail on the head is that often these bills get drafted and they have unintended consequences and then they get opened up for public comment because as we've often spoken about on your show we live in a constitutional democracy. It's a participatory democracy, which means citizens get to have their say on the laws. Parliament, as our elected representatives, have to listen. So it's important that we tell Parliament, heck, you know, you've defined terrorist activity in this bill mm. so widely. You mm. might end up 
criminalizing civil society and churches. Um, And then that parliament listens to that and we keep lobbying with the members of parliament, which is what Boris does, and make sure that this bill gets down narrow to actually achieve the purpose for which it is drafted, right? Because like you said, no one wants terrorism. But again, how terrorism is defined is is the crux of the matter. Just like with the anti-money laundering bill, um, the solution that was proposed there is that all voluntary associations um, have to register and non-profit non-profit companies and trusts have to register with the DSD and if they don't, they go to jail. So that's very problematic because, again, it's not addressing the solution for which it was created. It's not addressing the problem for which it was created to be the solution and it's going to cause all the pastors to go to jail, essentially. Um, So exactly with this thing is terrorist activity in this bill, in those two pages of definition, includes this phrase. You know, it's any activity, any act, yeah. That you do inside the republics, so inside South Africa or outside the country. So, you know, in the Seychelles, Iraq, Iran, UK, Argentina, Venezuela, wherever. Yeah. Um, that creates serious public emergency situation or general insurrection in the republic. And which is intended to further the objectives of, of the um, terrorist organization. So... I mean, just think about this there. You're sitting with serious public emergency situation, which is undefined, who decides what that is, and general insurrection. Now, I mean, common sense would say to you, okay, they can't be referring to civil society organizations or something, but there's no criteria put out in both of that. And the reason why this is concerning is that listeners might be aware that back in the beginning of the year when COVID was still a thing, and the Department of Health opened its draft regulations. Yes, Remember those draconian yes, ones very, that were well. yeah. COVID regulations? And civil society organizations like DRSA and AfriForum and Liberty Fighters, and I forget who else was involved in that, um, ended up taking the Department of Health to court on the proposed draft regulations that were open for public comment. Yeah. And in the Department of Health's internal emails that leaked out, the department labeled these civil society groups as instigating terrorism and sabotage. Wow. Okay. So now okay. you've got you've got an organization that engages in public awareness and helps the public give yes. their input on draft laws in yes. what is a d- participatory democracy. So it's according to the legal process that the constitution mandates. And you've got the Department of Health, the executive branch of the government, labeling them as instigating terrorism. So then all of a sudden you start thinking like, flip, okay, creating a serious public emergency situation, we should actually define that phrase. We should actually put down some criteria in law for that. It shouldn't just be up to the government to decide ex post facto what that means, you know? Absolutely. And, um, And it shouldn't just be that, you know, what is general insurrection? I mean, obviously, one would think, okay, maybe July riots last year, but that also needs to find and have stipulated criteria expressly put into law because you don't want to end up with a situation where organizations of which, for say, we've taken the government to court before, as listeners would know, organizations that take the government to court or who raise public awareness and help the public participate in the public comment process as required by the Constitution, mm. like 4SA, yes. 
get labeled as instigating terrorism or sabotage, you know? And then that's a very slippery slope for religious organizations and leaders because, I mean, <clears throat> as you yourself would know, religious organizations and leaders often get involved and say to their members, look, this is how um, this law is going to affect you and you should consider commenting on it or mm. this is what you should consider when you vote for a political party. Do they align with political values in this way? You know, have you read their policy documents? All of that. All of a sudden, th there's a very slippery slope. You know, if you put something like this into law but you don't define it and you've got these sorts of comments coming out from the executive branch of government. Sure. I mean, so, in, I mean, in, I many, in many out, ways... Uh, what what makes South Africa a great country to live in is that we are a constitutional democracy. Our our rights and our freedoms are underpinned by our constitution, and it seems that there's a draft of legislation which could end up undermining exactly that constitution, uh, which doesn't make any sense at all. Um, how how possibly could these laws? I mean, isn't this then an exercise in futility? Because those laws couldn't possibly stand. Surely, at some stage, they get pulled up before a constitutional court, and the constitutional court reverses <laughs> all the work that's been done up until that point. Isn't that kind of the way that things work? So, just three things I want to say there. First yeah. of all, don't you think it's ironic that the name of the law is the protection of constitutional democracy. Yes, yes. And meanwhile, it contains phrases like this, which if you read it in the context of what's happened this year with the communication that we've just referred to coming out of the executive branch is ironic. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, the second thing I want to say is that the penalty for being involved in whatever is deemed to be a terrorist activity is life imprisonment. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And if you assist an organization that's deemed to be involved in terrorist activity, that could include 15 years imprisonment. So, I mean, these are the things one needs to bear in mind because when you first look at this, you go like, okay, but this couldn't possibly affect us. And then you realize the context of the situation is comments coming out of the executive that say that civil society organizations are yes. instigating terrorism and sabotage. And you realize like the flip. Yeah. But um, so I agree with you that the bill can't pass constitutional muster. The Constitution in Section 36 has a general limitation clause that any law that affects fundamental rights that are entrenched and protected by the Constitution's Bill of Rights has to pass if it limits any of those rights. So, for example, in this bill, we can see freedom of expression getting limited, mm. freedom of association getting limited. These are all various fundamental rights. I mean, even freedom of religion gets limited if you take that into account and say that actually part of living out your faith is um, being active in the life of the democracy that you live in and making sure and voting according to your your um, biblical beliefs Conscience. and so forth, you know? Um, so it's it's a bill that doesn't pass constitutional muster in section according and it doesn't pass the general limitation test set out in section 36 but I do want to say this we have the same situation with the uh, promotion of equality prevention of unfair discrimination act the equality act yeah or PECUDA uh, that um, prohibited hate speech and you'll remember that in the John Quilani matter of last year the Concord said that, look, the Equality Act's definition of hate speech is way too broad. It 
limits the right to freedom of expression in a way that doesn't pass constitutional muster and it struck down the definition and narrowed it down considerably. But that law was in effect for 21 years. Mm. So it's not, it's not as if Parliament makes a law, it immediately gets challenged in the Concord, doesn't affect everyone, and the next day gets struck down as being unconstitutional. Yes. It's a very long process, which is why being engaged in the public comments on this bill is so important because the unintended consequences of the bill could be, I mean, if you end up with an executive in government, and I mean, one always needs to look at how this, how could a law be abused? And this law is open to vast abuse. Mm. The unintended consequences of this bill could very well be marked that it criminalizes the voices of those opposing government actions. You know, so for pastors to get up on the pulpit and criticize the government. Um, and Another unintended consequence could be to curb civil society's dialogue, which um, often takes place over social media and so forth. And actions of civil society and religious members of society that participate in the democracy as is their right. Mm. You know, so given that the religious community is often at the forefront of criticizing government, facilitating public participation, commenting on, you know, who's running in elections, the legislative process, and a vast number of other civil society activities. These unintended consequences are especially concerning for religious organizations and leaders. So, so, so Daniela, we, we have a bill which is on the table. We have a process that we've gone through before. Um, we're used to seeing kind of this loose language at this stage in the process. And, and now's the right time for people to comment. Now's the right time for people to respond um, and to engage with the process. You have a voice. We live in a democracy. Now's the time for it to be heard. And so I guess the question then becomes, how can people get involved uh, and raise their concerns and objections to this bill? Uh, where do people get started um, if they if they realize there are some red flags here and, and they want to engage in one way or another? So Mark, the deadline for submissions on this bill is next week Tuesday, the 18th of October. And we encourage people to use the DRSA platform in this instance because it keeps a record of the public participation. Okay. And um, they can go to latest campaigns when they go to the DRSA website um, and they can click on the Terrorism Act and they can fill in on the drop-down menu all the details there. And we encourage people to put in a comment as well as, you know, because um, the government looks at comments that they that people put in on the DRSA platform. So they look at the quality of the comments as well. So it's not a petition, it's not a voting system, but it's people's opportunity to influence this bill by providing suggestions, alternatives, and so on. And I want to say every voice counts. So the louder and the more, the louder the pushback and the more voices get involved in the pushback, um, the more chance it is that this bill, which is vastly open to abuse, will get narrowed down and become a law that we actually do want in this country. And 4SA is again co-branding with DRSA on this campaign. So take a moment, literally two minutes, to make sure that um, people make their voice heard. If they go to the 4SA website, they'll find an interview there um, that 4SA's Executive Director Michael Swain has done with Rob Hutchinson from DRSA talking about the dangers posed by this bill and so forth. 
We'll also be posting an article shortly on our website, just a summary of concerns to help people if they participate in the DRSA campaign so that they, you know, have um, an idea of what to put down, comments and so forth. So hopefully that helps everyone participate in our participatory democracy before that is deemed as a terrorist activity. I mean, excellent. Thank you again for raising the, the, the flag and for creating a rally point for people to respond to. Uh, listeners, if you're listening in and you're like, wow, I, I want to get involved or I want to have my voice heard, if you had to go to the Radio Pulpit um, Facebook page right now where we're live streaming from, I have dropped into the comments um, the the link to DSA and the link to uh, 4SA as well as the comments which Daniela has made regarding um, what to do and how to do it and what to say um, on the DSA website and how to find uh, what you would like to engage with. So Daniela, thank you so much uh, for this morning. Really appreciate it and uh, yeah, encourage the listeners to go to the DSA website and make a submission as soon as possible. Thanks. Fantastic. Always a privilege, Mark, and I hope you have a good weekend, you and your listeners. Appreciate it. Every blessing to you.